If you have your Bibles, uh, will you turn to the book of Esther? Uh, for several weeks now uh, at First Norfolk on Kempsville and First Norfolk on Volvo. And let's welcome First Norfolk on Volvo to the uh, live stream. We're excited. Come on, let's thank her. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, as, uh, as we uh, uh, started several weeks ago, stories of the Old Testament, as we began this journey of looking at the promise of God through the pages of the Old Testament, uh, we began in Genesis, and today is our last story in the Old Testament, which we're looking. Uh, it's the story of Esther. And uh, so if you would, turn uh, to the book of Esther, and we're going to try to look at some of the primary uh, principles and, and truths from God's Word as He has given us this story uh, to show us as His people, as followers of Jesus, how that we can live uh, today. Um, while you're turning there, just want to encourage you, uh, we, we each week we pray for one thing at one o'clock for one minute. And as a church, we've committed to join our hearts and our voices together, our focused energy together in prayer before the throne of God's grace uh, to pray for one thing. And each week we talk about what that one thing is. This week, I want to encourage you to pray for Christmas at first. I want you to pray not just not only for those who are preparing uh, for Christmas at first and all the, uh, those who are working so diligently to present the good news of God's rescuing love brought to us through Jesus Christ. Um, pray not only for them, uh, but also pray for those that God is leading you uh, to invite to come with you. Uh, this will make... I believe an eternal difference in the life of someone who is far from God. You see, there are people who will come to a musical or a presentation of music uh, that may not come uh, to a regular church like this. It seems more natural to come to a concert than it does to come to a lecture. Uh, and as people who uh, you work with who aren't in church, this feels like a lecture uh, and, and a concert always seems a lot more fun. That's why we had Krispy Kreme donuts here uh, to make it more fun. Uh, but uh, we, we, we want to uh, invite those uh, to come to this Christmas presentation. Uh, the other part of it is there are people uh, who are ready to come to kick off the Christmas spirit, uh, come to hear the songs of Christmas. And, and both of those are great avenues and inroads for you and for me to walk across the cul-de-sac or uh, to the next cubicle or across uh, the classroom and invite someone uh, who we're not sure where they stand in relationship with God, but we can invite them so that they can hear the good news of God's rescuing love brought to us by the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you uh, to pick up those cards and invite, but uh, at 1 o'clock every day this week, let's pray for Christmas at first. All right, uh, Esther, uh, when we look at our life, we see a life that, that at all, oftentimes feels out of our control. If you were to go to the Smoky Mountains, uh, and, uh, and, and you would see a lot of leaves in the water and leaves on the ground. Uh, the, the, the fall has fallen uh, in the Smokies, and the waters are filled with those leaves. Now, a leaf that is 
fallen from a tree has no control over its destiny. A leaf that has fallen from a tree is carried away on the current of wind or water. Uh, and it makes fishing harder, too, by the way. Uh, but those, those leaves seem to be at the whim of the wind or the current of the stream, and they have no control over where they're going. And for many of us, that's the way life seems. It seems as if we're carried away on the currents of our circumstance or the context of our situation, and we really have very limited control over what happens to us or around us, the decisions that are made that, that, that we have to endure, the circumstances that, that happen that we didn't cause, but we're on the blunt end of those circumstances that we, we face a life many times in many search situations in many days like a leaf that we feel as though we're just being carried away in the current of the wind or the water. And as we come to the story of Esther, that's probably the way she felt at times. Esther was a Jewish, a young Jewish girl raised in a foreign land in the city of Susa. And she was orphaned. Her mom and dad uh, were, uh, had, were, were not with her. And, and she was raised by her uncle Mordecai. And it seemed like Esther was enduring life under the weight of an orphaned life, uh, under the control of others' decisions, and she was just there. But God has given us the story of Esther to teach us that even though it seems as though he is silent or absent in the story, and by the way, uh, God's name is never mentioned in the story of Esther. From Esther Chapter 1, verse 1, to Esther, chapter 10, verse 3, God's name is not mentioned. El, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, none of those names for God are found in the story of Esther. And I think that's intentional. Because many times we feel as though God's somewhat absent from our lives. Depending on where you are in the circumstance of your situation Maybe you feel like God is distant, maybe not absent, but at least distant. But as we look at the story of Esther, we see that God is not distant, nor is he absent, but he is in the details of our everyday life. Throughout every sentence of every uh, paragraph, of every page in the story of Esther, we see that God is in the details, working at the details of her life to lead her to the fulfillment of, her, uh, of his purpose for her and for his people. The story of Esther is bigger than just Esther or Mordecai or even the kingdom of Babylon. It's, it's bigger than the, than the Medes and the Persians in which Xerxes, the emperor, was the ruler. and uh, He's named Ahusuerus in in, in Esther, but history teaches us, not the biblical history alone, but, but also history history uh, teaches us that Ahusuerus is Xerxes. Last week in Nehemiah, we talked about Artaxerxes. He's related to Xerxes, uh, most powerful man in the world at the time, Xerxes was. And so we see that God is in the details of Esther's life under the rule of Xerxes to lead Esther from 
an orphan little Jewish girl to become a queen in Xerxes' court, to then become, in the hands of God himself, a rescuer for his people. Listen, I I know that life can throw curveballs and difficulties and dangers, and every day is a a new dawning of circumstance and decisions and difficulties and drama. All that's true in my life. I know it's true in yours, but as followers of Jesus, God has led us to embark upon um, the road of this life with confidence and courage to fulfill his purpose. Uh, At the top of of Esther, you might write Romans chapter 8. See, Romans chapter 8 is a good parallel. It gives kind of a theological bedrock to what Esther is all about. Romans chapter 8 is uh, this wondrous story of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and, and not really be a leaf carried around uh, whimsically on the wind or in the water, but rather to be a leaf carried on the wind of God's will and His purpose. And Romans chapter 8 teaches us about how that in Christ we have been rescued, that, that Jesus uh, fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law so that we might be set free from the law of sin and death. So that there is therefore, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He goes on and says, because we belong to God, God has poured his spirit within us. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has put his spirit within you so that you can know that you're part of God's family. For those who are led by the spirit of God belong to God. We're part of his family. You're being led by the spirit shows that you are in the family of God. Woo! You're in God's family. Uh, More than that, not only are you in God's family, but you are being led each day intimately and carefully, providentially by the God who loves you so that you can cry out even in the moments of of distress and slippery slopes and, and, and foggy nights and dark days. You can cry out to the Father who is uh, who is there and, and, and according to his spirit, say, Abba, Father, and, and he'll give you strength and courage. Which leads to Romans 8, 28, which you'll hear me talk about a little bit today. Um, or we, we, we believe with absolute confidence that God is working all things together. All things, not just some things, but everything. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. To those who are the called according to his purpose. And it's that purpose thing that I want us to see. You see, the good comes to those who love God who are pursuing his purpose. And that's what we see in Esther. Esther, in many ways, was like that leaf floating on the wind of her circumstance. God orchestrated her life in such a way that he would lead her to fulfill his purpose if she was faithful to him. In the same way, look, look, God is in the details of your life. Right here, right now, good times, bad times, happy times, sad times. In the dark, in the night, in the day, in the light, whatever it is that you're facing, if you belong to God, he is in the details of your life, leading you for your good to fulfill his purpose. So let's see how that we can navigate. Look, when it comes down to it, you're facing daily decisions and difficulties that you don't know what to do with. I am too. Just this week, Edie and I uh, were talking 
about something we don't know what to do about. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to change it. We don't know what to do. It's, it's like, in many ways, we would feel like a leaf carried by the wind of this circumstance or floating in the water in the current of this circumstance, except we believe that God is in control. And that's where we need to begin. You see, the way we navigate through dark days and foggy nights and slippery slopes is when we begin with this belief, God is in control. And that's a good thing. That God is in control. Now, this is the season of football. Everybody's watching football. You're watching the Cowboys beat the Redskins on Thanksgiving. That was great, right? I mean, we all celebrate that, don't we? That was a praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. First Norfolk and Kinsfield, first Norfolk and Volvo. Can we say amen the Cowboys beat the Washington Redskins? Hallelujah. All those who are voting nay, be rebuked. Anyway. This is a season of football. We watch football. You watch games yesterday. And, and, and I'm always amazed at, at uh, how fans and, and players and, uh, and administration look to the coach as if the coach were an all-knowing figure who understood everything that was going to play out on the field before it happened. Can I tell you, as good as Nick Saban is and as good as Urban Meyer may be, both of those coaches have, have limited understanding about the things that will happen on the field of play. All they can do is respond and react to what they see from the sideline. Certainly they've studied and they've researched and they've watched hours upon hours of film and they've strategized from the research of the history that they have done. But when it comes to how life is played out on the field, an injury, a penalty, a, 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 a mistake by a player, a mistake by a referee, a mistake by, by an assistant coach, all of those things come to play and they can't predict not one thing. They are not in control of the game, no matter how much it may seem that they are. No matter how much they yell into their headset, they're not in control of what happens on the field of play. And yet, players and fans and administration follow these coaches as master strategists who will get them the win. They follow them, even with finite knowledge and understanding that these coaches have. I am glad that God is not like one of those coaches with limited understanding and limited knowledge who can only respond and react to what things used to be or the way things are happening now on the field of play. But our God, whom we serve, the God that we find in the life of Esther and Mordecai and Xerxes and Vashti and Haman, this is the God who sees all things, not reacting or responding to what's happening on the field of play, but who is shaping even the failings and the failures and the mistakes and the injuries who's shaping all of life on the field of play to accomplish his beautiful, perfect, life-giving, soul-satisfying purpose. This is our confident belief. Esther Esther whether she understood it or not at the very beginning of her life she was moving in the flow of God's sovereign purpose. God is in control. 
In chapter 1, we see that the queen Vashti uh, fell out of favor with Xerxes so that the people in the court uh, called uh, Xerxes to find another queen. And in chapter 1, verse 17, we see that, that, uh, that, uh, that a decree went out that they would look and find uh, another queen. Chapter 2, we see that Esther became that queen. That didn't happen by accident. That was God in control, working in the details of Esther's life. And in, in chapter 3, we see Mordecai. The end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3, we see Mordecai, who is um, the uncle to Esther, who is now the queen. Mordecai intentionally prepared Esther and helped her and advised her and counseled her. But at the end of chapter 2, we see that God placed Mordecai at the city gate so that he would hear of a plot to overthrow Xerxes. He reports the plot through Esther to Xerxes. And the king is rescued. Again, that's not an accident. That's God shaping events in history and in time and, 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 and so that it might accomplish his purpose. Mordecai, still at the city gates, when Haman, the guy second in charge of the kingdom, comes passing by. Everybody bowed to Haman except for Mordecai, but Mordecai would not bow. In order to guard God's honor and fame, he would not bend his knee to another, only to God himself. Haman was enraged and he committed to commit genocide, to literally kill all the Jewish people, not just in Susa, but around the world. He committed to, 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 to have a holocaust in 5th century B.C. But God prepared Mordecai and Esther, put them at just the right place at just the right time so that God's purpose of rescue might be realized. You look in chapter 4, and again, uh, beginning in verse four, uh, 14, we find ourselves really at the hinge of the passage, the, 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 the fulcrum of the story. You begin in verse 14, uh, verse 13. Uh, Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Haman is planning to kill every Jewish person. Up to this point, Esther had not revealed that she was a Jewish person, not even to Xerxes. But Mordecai knew that Haman's plot would eventually find Esther herself. So in verse 13, Mordecai told them to, uh, to tell Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and rescue will arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Now here's the, here's the sentence that most everyone uh, who knows the book of Esther is familiar with. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows? Well, really what Mordecai was saying is God has purposed you to be here at this time for this purpose. For such a time as this. As followers of Jesus, y'all look this way. As followers of Jesus, can I tell you that this is your for such a time as this? 
As followers of Jesus Christ, this is your time to stand up, your, your, to, to believe that, yes, God is in control, and you will pursue God's purposes. You will bolster your belief that God has shaped the circumstances, whether it's a dark day, whether it's a foggy night, whether it's a slippery slope, you will say, God is in control, and he's planted me here for his purpose. Therefore, I will pursue it. As a follower of Jesus, we need to believe that God is in control and live accordingly. Now, sometimes it's hard, especially when you're facing something that you didn't ask for, something that's hit you right in the gut, something that's ripped your heart out, something that's breaking you and, and shattering you to pieces. You know what I'm talking about. This is life. And all of us face these moments, and we don't know what to do, and we don't know how to navigate, and we don't know how... how, And and then here's the preacher saying, well, God is in control. Well, what do you do with that? How can you believe that it's a good thing that God is in control if all this bad stuff is happening to me? Have you ever thought that? Well, that's why... Esther in chapter six, uh, chapter four, verse sixteen, she says, "Now, now, I want you to says Mordecai, I want you to take all the Jewish people in Susa, and me and my maids, we're going to join you, and we're going to take three days, and we're going to spend time with God in prayer and fasting." See, can I tell you one of the mistakes we make? I make when dark days or foggy nights or slippery slopes happen. And, and, and I believe that God is in control, but I, I'm, I'm having a hard time navigating whether this is a good thing or a bad thing or what do I do in the face of all this. Uh, one of the temptations is to run away from God in that moment, to hide, to get bitter or mad about God letting me go through this difficult day, this tough time. And, and, and so one of the dangers is to run away from God. But, but here is the truth of, of how to bolster our belief. It is we run to God. See, the safest place you and I can be, the most secure that we can find ourselves, no matter what's happening all around us, is when we spend time in the presence of God and we find clarity and courage to step forward in faithfulness. Our belief, God is in control, will lead to a behavior. We will fulfill God's purpose. See, belief does precede behavior, and it, and it takes this right belief. God is in control, and that's a good thing. All things are working together for the good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is what I need to give myself to. It ends up being a good thing because I'm committing myself to God's purpose. It's this beautiful picture that we have of Esther who says, I'm going to fulfill God's purpose even though it may be hard. Look at the last sentence of uh, chapter 4, verse 16. The very last sentence, she says, So I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I die, I die. She made a commitment. With a belief bolstered by intimacy with God, she made a commitment to pursue even the hard thing. See, faithfulness... That's easy is still faithfulness. But are you faithful when it's not easy? See, that's Christianity 101, 201, and 301. It's it's when we determine we're going to do God's thing even though it's the hard thing. We're going to do God's thing even though my friends won't like it, my family won't understand. I'm going to do God's thing. I'm going to pursue His purpose. There was a day when I did play football. 
peewee. There was a day when I played football, yeah, even, even junior high and high school. I played football, and, and, and uh, one of the things that we had to do, I don't know if they still do it, uh, maybe they outlawed it, with two-a-days. I don't know, they still do two-a-days. Brutal, yeah? I was in Texas at the time. Two-a-days, Texas heat, brutal. I mean, literally two-a-days. You are just, I mean... You, you're, you, you, you're gone. You're, you're done. I mean, heat stroke, yes, every single day, heat stroke. Do hard things. But you did those hard things so that you could be ready to play the game. So that you'd be ready for the season. Navy SEALs. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine what it takes to become a Navy SEAL. Just the, the, the difficulty, the, 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 the challenge, the danger. You do the hard thing. Why? So that you can be ready to do God's thing, the right thing. That's, that's what Esther is doing. She's, she's committing herself to do the hard thing. The hard thing is, even if I die, I die. It's okay. I'm doing God's thing. Can I tell you, that is the path we need. And the hard thing, the hard thing is, is literally life and death sometimes. There are people who die for their faith. And that's good. If that's God's purpose. And I know it, it, it sounds terrible to say that, but it's true. In, in, in Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, we see Esther. She's called Haman and, and Xerxes together. She's throwing a banquet. Uh, and, and at this banquet, the, the decree to kill all the Jewish people has already gone out. And at this second banquet, this second party that she throws, Esther stands in front of Xerxes Again, putting her neck on the chopping block, and she says, these people that you have decreed to kill, I'm one of them. See, doing the hard thing sometimes means that you stand up for God, and you identify with God's people, even if it's dangerous. Here we are today, and, and can I humbly suggest that we are a people that need to identify as God's people? And we need to do it here. There is a way that, that the church, that God in his sovereignty has, has orchestrated church life. And, and he spelled it out and he said, the way that, that you as a follower of mine, as one who's been rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus, the way you declare publicly and identify as one of my people is through believer's baptism. Now that's how we practice it because that's the way God outlines it. God is in control. This is the map that he's laid out. So we're going to go in the flow of God's control and we're going to be faithful. And we might not think it's easy to be baptized as a believer, but in that confession, that public display, we are declaring, I belong to Jesus. He's changed my life. And we're doing it in front of a group of people who will celebrate. Not one of us who have been rescued by God's grace uh, uh, will, will do anything but celebrate that believer's baptism. And some of you are here today and you have been anonymous even among God's people. Even in this church, you've refused to declare publicly through baptism, which is the biblical pattern. That you are a follower of Christ. And today I, ca I call you, I ask you, I beg you, identify as belonging to Jesus through believer's baptism. But we're here and we'll celebrate it. How much more challenging it would, 
It will be when we go to work and we declare publicly we belong to Jesus. And you have to. I mean, this is part of what it means to be a witness for him. This is what, this is what Paul is hitting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, the love of Christ constrains us. For we believe thusly, that if one died for all, then all have died. And Jesus died for all, so that we who live should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. We're here today. Oh, family of faith, we are here today to behave not for our self-interest, but for God's glory, to fulfill his purpose, to live for him who died for us and rose again. Are you behaving in a way that is to pursue God's purpose? Is that, is that how you're living your life? That, that's how I'm living my life. And by the way, God's purpose is not merely for us to be happy. That's a good byproduct, but that's not the purpose. And so often we hear, God desires for you to be happy. Happy, 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 happy. Nowhere does it say God desires for you to be happy, 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 happy. God, his purpose is the rescue of people from the cell of their sin and the lostness of their soul so that they might be brought into his family. His purpose is bigger than my happiness or yours. But can I tell you, when I'm moving in the flow of God's control and I'm pursuing his purpose, can I tell you, I'm most happy because I'm most satisfied. This is what we believe. We believe that God is in control and he is working good for those who love him, who are moving along the line of his purpose. And when we are faithful to pursue his purpose, when our faithfulness meets his providence, then the result is his blessing. God, in his rescuing love, soaks our soul with joy. In Esther chapter 8, verse 16, again, listen uh, to what, 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 uh, what is reported. Esther stands up in difficult times and difficult moments, and she brings rescue by being faithful to God. Uh, Xerxes reverses the decree and brings protection to God's people. All because Mordecai and Esther did the hard thing. They were faithful. Their behavior matched their belief. And it led to blessing, not just for Esther and Mordecai, but it led to blessing for all of God's people. Esther chapter 8, verse 16. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. Can I tell you what makes a joyful church? It is a church that is absolutely sold out in faithfulness to God's purpose. Believing that he is in absolute control. Do you want to know what makes for a joyful family? It's a family that is dedicated to pursue God's purpose. So that that family then can be soaked in the rescuing love and the joy of a living God. You know what makes for a life that is satisfying? It's not me getting my way. It's not you getting your way. But it's us committing ourselves 
to move in the flow and in the current of God's will, for that is the person he blesses. Again, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, write it down, memorize it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season. And on dark days and foggy nights in the midst of slippery slopes, his leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Why? Because God blesses those who love him and pursue his purpose. Joy and honor. Light and gladness because our faithfulness meets God's providence and God blesses. Today, my prayer for us is that we would move in the flow and in the current of God's control. I love fishing, and you know this about me. I love fish. I love, I love watching fish in the water. I love, I love seeing them move in the water. If you've ever watched a fish in the water, whether it's in salt or fresh water, now you look at those fish, you look at the underwater cameras, it's a beautiful thing as they, as they glide and flow with strength and grace and dignity and power under the water. Their colors uh, that they put out underwater are brilliant and majestic and beautiful. But once you pull a fish out of water, it loses all of its grace. Once you pull a fish out of water, the colors dim. There's no more grace in their movements, but rather a flippity-floppity-flop-flop trying to escape their suffocation. As followers of Jesus, can I tell you that we are like a fish out of water when we are pursuing anything less than God's purpose. We are like a fish out of water when we are pursuing anything less than absolute faith in God's sovereign providential plan. Pursuing it faithfully, seeking to do even the hard thing to accomplish His purpose. When we pursue anything less than God's absolute control over our lives, then we are like a fish out of water. But when we believe that God is in control so that we behave in a way that pursues His purpose, then we are blessed by the strength and the dignity and the grace and the courage like a fish in water. The beauty of life becomes a prominent theme of our daily circumstance. And even though we do face dark days and foggy nights and slippery slopes, life will be light and gladness, joy and honor. Because we're living in the grip of God and his purpose. Would you bow your heads with me, please?
So what do you do with this? This message from God to us through Esther. What do you do? How do you respond? Well, the very first thing, and and maybe even the primary thing that we do here as we've gathered together is that we celebrate with praise this glorious God who has loved us enough to send rescue our way in the person of Jesus Christ. We celebrate with praise the God who has soaked our soul with his life-shaping, heart-satisfying love. We celebrate with praise the God who is in control, who is not surprised by any circumstance, but who is shaping every circumstance in our life for the good as we pursue His purpose. We need to praise the God who has loved us. And as we respond to this message from God to us today. I invite you to sing the songs of praise so that the praise of the God who has loved us through Christ would be ever on our lips. As we praise Him, we must also commit to Him a life of pursuing His purpose that we would declare with the Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I give myself to Jesus. To walk the path that he has mapped, to live the life that he desires. Today, perhaps you need to come to this altar and Like Esther, you need to ask God for a bolstering of your belief in the goodness of His control over your life and circumstance. Maybe you just need to come for a little clarity. Oh God, I'm going down this slippery slope and I don't know what to do. Will you help? Maybe you need to come to one of the ministers who are here at the front. We would love to pray with you and pray over you as you make this journey, this adventure of following Jesus one of faithful, faithfulness to him. Maybe you need to come to the altar or one of the ministers. Maybe you need to come and say, you know, I've been anonymous in this church for long enough and it's time for me to be baptized as a believer, to publicly declare that I belong to Jesus, to publicly identify I'm on God's team. Whatever God is leading you to do, my prayer is that we would celebrate him And praise Him, not only with a song of praise, but also with a commitment and a life of praise. So now, Father, may our hearts be nourished by Your presence as You speak to us. And may Your praise ever be on our lips.